I remember going in the back of the store and just like bawling, like, and just laying on the floor. I was just laid out on the floor, just crying. Like, you know, I gotta send these books back. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this. I don't know. Like, I just really messed up. I felt like, you know, I was like, damn, I really messed up. And I put a lot into this, and this is not gonna work. So publicly embarrassing, right? To like do this this way, and now it's gonna fail. You're listening to Philly Who, the podcast that tells the stories of the doers, thinkers, and performers of Philadelphia. My name is Kevin Schmidlin, and today we share the tale of a Fishtown bookshop owner who has devoted her life to educating Philadelphia under the guiding light of Harriet Tubman. The story of how Janine Cook has overcome homelessness, prejudice, and yes, a pandemic to create Harriet's bookshop is now on Philly Who. My name is Janine A. Cook, and I am the shopkeeper at Harriet's Bookshop in the Fishtown section of Philadelphia. Janine has been living in Philadelphia for many years, but she actually grew up in Virginia. Her dad was born and raised in Brooklyn, and her mother came from Trinidad. So my mother came to America when she was, I believe, 19. And she came here, you know, as like she says that in her world, where they, when she was growing up, they told her that America literally had streets that were paved with gold. Hmm. And so she got here and she was just like, she got to New York and was like, this is shitty. You know, like, Where's it wasn't, the gold? she was like, it was cold. It was like, there was no gold in the streets. It was like, just not what she was primed and expecting. And my mother came to this country with very little, with very little, and figured out how to, she, I don't even think she could transfer her degree or whatever Mm. from Trinidad. So she didn't even have, like, I think a diploma when she got here. She just really had to start from scratch and establish herself. This was challenging enough. It's not easy to pick up and start over in a brand new country. And on top of that, being foreign wasn't the only challenge that Janine's mother faced. She, as a child, told me stories of, like, getting in trouble a lot for not doing well in school. But come to find out, she really just always had vision issues and couldn't see well. And by the time, you know, I was eight, nine, ten, she was completely blind. Her blindness, though, didn't stop her. My mother, even though she went blind, continued to go to school. People kind of think, okay, you have this different ability, so your life must stop. People told her that she needed to give us up, that she wasn't going to be able to raise her children as a blind woman. And so she she would have us do what she would have us read to her when we were small. She would have us write for her Hmm. when we were small. So it was like we all three got this theology degree together in some ways because that's just what she had us do. You know, you're a child, so you don't even think anything of it. If she says, you know, bring me that book and read it out loud to me, we just did. And she's still an avid reader, right? Like, even in her blindness, she was reading audiobooks like crazy. Wow. And so I got to think that that's where your love of books comes from. Uh, I think that has something to do with it for sure. You know, I think for sure my mom is an avid reader. My father read a lot. My father, in his own way, is a historian, right? Like, from Brooklyn and has all these, like— failures within himself, like all these character flaws that if we were doing a character study, he'd be a great character study because he's like, you know, he's really, really smart, but then also had alcohol issues, you know? And so, you know, his father died when he was a little boy. And so he's still, and to this day, I think, still struggling with those things. Um, But he was reading all the time, right? And they, they debated all the time. 
I remember we'd be in the car, like, parked, and they're debating O.J. Simpson. You know, wow. like, this is who my parents were. My mother was avid about us having books with brown children in them because in America that wasn't the case. It was just like, and, you know, I think a lot of black Americans at the time didn't even think twice about it. It was like you just took the books that you were given. But because she would bring us books from over there in Trinidad, I remember seeing faces and seeing expressions and things that we just didn't see when we were in school over here. Having grown up with such a variety of perspectives definitely plays a role in who Janine is and what she's accomplished. She has perspective that very few of us have. But this perspective and having such a diverse, multifaceted identity can also pose its own type of challenges. Now, I keep telling people, like, I don't really fit in anywhere. Like, you know, we were Trinidadian, but we weren't Trinidadian enough. Mm. We were American, but we weren't American enough. I often felt like I didn't belong, right? So Mm. it would be like... I'm black, but there were a lot of black things that I didn't understand because black Americans have different cultural understandings in the South than they do in the North, than they do, you know, from place to place. And then having that Caribbean mother. And I think I was looking for people who were like me, who made my identity make sense, who made my identity okay. I just didn't fit. And so I was always looking for like, well, who else didn't fit but made it? Hmm. Like who else defied the, the, you know, whatever was up against them? This is what Janine was searching for in a role model as a child. Somebody who looked like her, yes, but also somebody who defied the odds and who made their own way. I thought Bob Marley was so cool. Mm. Mahalia Jackson. But I swore Malcolm X was my dad. And then, of course, Harriet. Harriet Tubman. Like, you would get those projects where you would have to be somebody. Yeah. And um, I would be Harriet. You know, I remember being a little Harriet in my classroom, thinking, like, I'm a superhero. Like, this is a superhuman. Harriet Tubman was a superhuman. She was a Black woman born into slavery in Maryland in 1822. And when she was in her late 20s, she escaped slavery to Philadelphia. With her newfound freedom— She devoted herself to freeing other slaves, including her family, her friends, and people she didn't even know. She would go on rescue missions that were dangerous and that mostly took place in the dead of night and in the dead of winter. Since she was aiding the escape of fugitive slaves, Harriet would face harsh penalties even in the free states if she was caught. But she never was. She would go on to devote her long life to spreading freedom and equality for both African Americans and for women. Her life was so impactful that right now in 2021, more than 100 years after her death, the Biden administration is working to have Harriet Tubman replace Andrew Jackson as the face of our $20 bill. I think it's safe to say that potentially being the first non-white, non-man featured on American paper money pretty well sums up Harriet's massive yet unlikely legacy. You know, Harriet, in a lot of ways, doesn't make any sense. Like, how were you doing that? You know, how were you able to do what you were able to do under the circumstances that you were able to do them under and then live to be 91? Like, you know, a lot of our heroes, the visual of them is that they get killed, right? They get killed, they get killed, they get killed. Malcolm, you know, Martin, you know, you get these over and over and over. And so to have someone like Harriet, who's one, a woman, who's two, black, who's three, not necessarily super educated or like super like she she's human yeah. she's really human it always like stuck with me like well how was she walking across states like how do you walk across states like we have a hard time walking up to 711 right. like you know like how did she walk across multiple states in the cold you know there's a bounty on her head people are chasing after her 
there's dogs, there's, you know, the elements, like how, like my mind is still, I still can't, like how did, mm-hmm. how do you do that, right? right? And, and what kind of human must you be to make that happen? And she was that kind of human. Janine has likewise decided to live her life the Harriet Tubman way. So just like Harriet did in her 20s, Janine started by moving north, out of the South, to Philadelphia. But unlike Harriet, Janine wasn't planning on staying here. So I came to Philly with a friend who was adamant about moving to Philly. She loved Philadelphia. I did not. I was already in college. I was already accepted into school. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go to school in Virginia. Like, it was a safer route. And she was like, well, just come up here with me to my open house. She was trying to get accepted into the University of the Arts. And so I came up with her to the open house, just being my regular self. Um, was at the open house talking to some guy, just, you know, we was just rapping, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like, oh, I want to show you something. I'm actually going to be the new director of this new program at University of the Arts. I want you to see my presentation. So I was like, okay, I'll come see your presentation. I went, um, after it was over, he was like, you should apply to my program. Like, if you're open to it, just, you know, consider it. And I was just like, no, I already got accepted into my school. Like, it's, this is May, you know, I'm like, no, I'm not doing wow. that. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting off track. <laughs> you yeah. know, I was like, yeah. and he was just like, just consider it, Janine. Like, I think you have a strong, you know, chance and an interesting outlook. And this program at University of the Arts, which they don't have anymore, was socially focused, right? And so you could do socially focused advertising and think about it from mm. a, or you can do socially focused journalism or socially focused documentary making. And I did it. I was like, all right, cool. He was like, I'll wave this and wave that. And you just apply. We both apply, me and my friend. I get accepted into the school she doesn't. And this is the school of her dreams. And I'm just like, uh, you know, like, why would this happen this way? So she and I connect up and we're like, well, listen, I'm going to still go to the school. You know, I'll go. You still move to Philly. I'll move. We'll just still, you know, banging out. And she still moved up here and she went to um, CCP and then Temple. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we worked it from there. Yeah. And so, I mean, you had a plan. You were going to school in Virginia. (laughs) You just go on this trip to visit Philadelphia. You didn't really want to go. And so you get to UART's day one, freshman year. What's the plan? I'm so green. I'm the greenest (laughs) Janine. They call me green Janine. That's what they call me because (laughs) I did not understand a lot of things about the world. And I used to, I was like, so Philly was so a big city to me. So I'd be walking around at night like, oh my gosh, it's such a pretty city. And people were like, Janine, you have to get in the house. Like you cannot, you cannot go to that neighborhood, you know, looking at the sky, you know, they were like, you're so, yeah, you're so green. All the time people was like, Janine, you're so green. You don't understand. So Green Janine took on the big city. She started attending school at the University of the Arts, and right away, she started making change. I started a club called Positive Minds. We had all this equipment at that time. We had access to anything, cameras, mics, you know, that that recorders. We were learning how to do, you know, all types of things. And I was just like, what if we took the equipment to the neighborhood and taught people on our block how to do the same things that we're doing, like storytelling. Everything's about storytelling. Everything's about, you know, building building connection through like authentic, genuine conversation. So like, let's do that outside of these four walls. Right. We would go out and we would do that on the block. We would teach families, kids, whoever came, yeah. who whatever would want to. Because the kids were always asking me like, well, what's that? What's that? What you got there? You know? And, and so, so that was that became a part of what I did at UArts. And I wouldn't argue with people because I was just like, you know, this should, our club didn't get funded. And I was like, well, we're going to do it anyway. Like, I'm a very much we're going to do it anyway yeah. kind of person. And so we did. And we would set up tables in front of the school um, and we would sell books. Right. So, yeah, 1920, I'm selling books out front of the school. So you saw that 
there was all this equipment beh yeah. on, behind the four walls of UArts. You said, <laughs> let's get this equipment out to the community so you can use it. Yeah. You wanted that to be funded yeah. and they said no. So you said, okay, I'm gonna- I'm gonna fund it my own way. And I'm gonna sell books yeah. and incense and what art yeah. like. Yeah, yeah. And then like students, well, other students would like donate stuff for us to sell if there's, cause we're artists, right? So everyone's makers, everyone's giving us stuff to like, well, throw this in on the table and see how this goes. And it was, it's so cool to watch it. Yeah. You know, it was organic. It was just like a team of us who would do it. You saw all the ingredients there, right? Yeah. You saw the community in need. You saw on the other side of the wall, all this equipment. Yeah. You saw the, you know, people selling stuff, like probably bake sales and stuff. Yeah. Like, well, what if we sold? Right. You know I mean? right. I'm not selling cake, you know? <laughs> like, I'm going to sell something else. Right. So where mm -hmm. does this resourcefulness come from? So I think it's a mix of things. I think one, like I told you before, like feeling like you never belong. Mm -hmm. I think not belonging in some ways becomes a gift because you can look at everything with fresh eyes, right? Like, oh... Well, I live down in South Philly in the middle of the hood, right? And like, that's where I live. And I, I have to walk through pee and all of this stuff mm -hmm. every day. These are my real neighbors. These are my real, you know, like we really connect. And then I go to this school, right? And most of the people at this school don't live in the community. Mm -hmm. They, If they live in the community off campus, they don't live in the hood and they're not making these connections. And so I felt like being outside in that way of like not feeling like I ever fit fully has always been to my advantage. So, like, even with the bookshop, right? Like, you know, I never had a bookstore before, hmm. right? Like, I was not some—I wasn't groomed. I don't have an MBA. I don't—you know, like, all of the, you know, typical Business things. Business owner. Right. Like, I don't have that. That's yeah. not my background. Like, I listened to Nipsey Hussle. Like, that's who was encouraging and inspiring me on entrepreneurship tip. Right. And so that then becomes a way in a new room that becomes new information that— the other people in that room might not be looking at things from that perspective they because, right? Because everybody in the MBA program might not be listening to Nipsey Hustle and like on repeat and reading his work and like really drawing their entrepreneurial inspiration from this yeah. guy who started out on a corner, right. who just had a table and some socks, and the next thing you know, he was able to purchase the entire block. Right. But I know that that's possible from folks like him. I didn't, you know, and so I think being on the outside has often been to my benefit. Janine was about to need this resourcefulness even more because pretty soon after starting at UArts, she experienced an event that tends to change the plan a bit. So I get pregnant and I have a baby and and I don't follow. And so I'm not very good on rules, right? Like, especially rules that don't make sense. So I would be like, you know, I would bring the baby to class. Like he was three months. I brought him with me to class every day. <laughs> and in, in the beginning, like, so one guy was just like, well, you're not going to be able to, because UArts has like all these shows, theater, dance, performances. We were all, and that was a part of the culture of UArts and often required. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm taking my baby into these little shows or whatever. This guy finally one day was like, oh, you can't bring a baby in here. Based on what? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where did you get that from? Where's the age um, requirement? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is a classic Janine question. What Janine didn't question was the state of the house that she and her child were living in, which, quite frankly, was falling apart. What I was telling myself back then was like, you know, I'm going to fix this house up. You know, it's a shell of a house, but I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it into something amazing. You know, we're going to use this. It's going to be a community space. Like all of that. I was thinking mm. those things then. But really, I was homeless. I didn't have running water. I didn't have, wow. you know, we were taking electric from the neighbor and using like gallon waters to like wash ourselves wow. and like brush our teeth. And yeah, like we were pooping in plastic bags. Like literally we were homeless. I yeah. was homeless. I just didn't realize it. And I had this baby and I was in school. On top of all that, Janine's mom had decided to move back to Trinidad. 
So Janine found herself raising a child as a single mother in a house that was falling apart with no family close by. I remember my mom came and she flew into America and she seen me and the baby and she was just like, she took his coat off and threw it in the trash immediately. She was just like, look how dirty this is. But in my, I don't know, you know, I'm a child. This is what I can afford. This is what I have. And this is what we can make work. She made it work for a little bit, but eventually all of that took its toll. And the homelessness, being a single mother, trying to go to school, running positive minds, it became too much. I did drop out. And one of my professors came and found me and was just like, you can't drop out. Like, this doesn't make any sense. You're at the end. You only have one semester to go. Like, you can finish this. And I was like, I just can't. Like, so I had to let them know. They didn't know what, was, what I was what doing. What did that feel like, that moment? Oh, my gosh. Um, it's so embarrassing. I was embarrassed. I was very embarrassed. I'm very proud, you know, and I'm like, I don't need anyone to know what I'm going through. Like, I'm making it. I'm going to make it. Despite her embarrassment, she couldn't quit. I go back and I did all independent studies that senior year. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to, like, I worked with my professors in their homes. Wow. I would take the baby with me. So they, you know, all of them know him now, you know, but I would take him. We ended up having really much more deeper relationships as a result of that. I graduate and I go back to selling books again. It was like, okay, here's a way to do the work that I want to do in communities independently is that I could sell books. And so up on Broad and Cecil B. Moore, I used to sell books right out on Temple's campus. And when she wasn't on the campus selling books, she was finding other ways to impact the community. I've worked with almost every youth development organization in the city. Yeah. And that was like one of my goals was just like, I just had a list and I was like, okay, I want to work with all of them. I want, yeah. you know, so I've worked with the free library. I've worked with, you know, of course the school district, but also the after school programs. There used to be something called Beacon where we would teach until nine o'clock at night. We would do homework with kids. We would do dinner with families. And then we would do activities until 9 p.m. Mm. But program after program after program, I was just like, you know, I was interested in education, and I still am. I'm very, very interested in education. Yeah, why? Why were you so interested in education at that point? I mean, I think it's just foundational, right? Like, I, I think that is the determinant of wherever anyone is going to go is, like, what they can process and put into their minds and what yeah. they can. And I think that education, in a lot of ways, fails. Yeah. Um, it does things backwards. It does things wrong. And so I would be like, you know, it was a space where I could, like, stretch and push. I worked with I'm 22 coming out of college or whatever. They had me with young people who were still adjudicated. They all had um, to get through their program. They had um, ankle bracelets. And to get through, they had to take my course. And I'm like their same age. And, you know, so I get in there right at first and they're like, girl, bye. You know, what are you talking about? You know, and all these ideas about that I had about what education needed to look like. I had to scrap it and start over and really get present. Part of getting present involves understanding where you're trying to go. So in order to get present, she looked into the future. And she got there through a little bit of advice she got from a man she met at the Temple Bookstand. This one dude was so awesome. He would come see me every day. He would buy a a book or a soap or Hmm. something. And he was just like, Janine, I want you to write. I want you to get a journal. And I want you to write the future out. I want you to write, like, just imagine and imagine and imagine and imagine limitlessly where you see yourself and just write it out. I remember writing about... um, I was going to retire from everything that I was doing then and that when I was an older woman, I would have a bookshop and that would be kind of like my chill spot. Mm. And I would have like, you know, I, I pictured myself sweeping and like, like you'll walk down the street and you'll be able to, people will just know you. The kids in the streets will be able to be like, Miss G, hey, how you doing? 
That was a dream that felt in the far off future. While in reality, Janine was really burning out. I was feeling overwhelmed with Philadelphia. I was done. I was just like, I'm leaving. I'm going back home. I've been here for all these years and I'm still like, you know, trying to find my footing and like all of these struggles, et cetera, et cetera. So Janine began looking to move back to Virginia. And it was one of her house hunting trips that changed the entire course of her future, though not in the way she expected. So I'm down in Virginia and I'm in the bathroom and it's something just like so loud in my spirit was just like, no, you're going back to Philly and you're opening a bookstore. And I was just like, no, 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 not, you know, like I'm moving to Virginia. I'm leaving. I'm done. And it was just like, nope. it was so clear. And I listened to that. And I know that sounds crazy to some people, but it was just so clear. It was there was just no denying it. It started becoming like almost like a irritant. Dreams tend to do this thing, right? One day it starts as a dream. That'd be cool someday. Then another day you think about it twice, then eventually you can't stop thinking about it. It might start like with a little like, oh, okay, I'll do that someday. Next thing you know, you're thinking about this thing over and over and over and over again. You're thinking, okay, well, what if, what would it be like if I did this? Or how could I do that? Or what would my sign look like? What would my logo be? What would, you know, like, where do you actually get books from? She couldn't ignore it anymore. So Janine came back to Philly and decided it was time to make the dream happen now. It was time to open a bookshop. But before she could get the books or the logo, Janine needed to find a place to put the books. I was working for um, the People's Emergency Center at that time, and PEC has a corridor, right, like that they're responsible for, a business corridor. So I had been asking over and over, you know, what about this building? What about that building? Mm. How much is this? How, you know, trying to understand how it would work for me to have a building. Um, I couldn't get mm. space. And people was just denied, denied, denied. And I remember this guy, the realtor, Tucker. So he finally was like, I found a woman. She might be interested. We go meet her. She was just like, you know, I don't know about this, but okay, I'll give you a chance. Once she had a space for the bookshop, the next part, naming it was an easy choice. I think that Harriet Tubman just made so much sense to me because I was just like, she came to Philadelphia. This was her first stop from freedom. But there are no monuments in Philadelphia for Harriet Mm. Tubman. And it was just like, well, then this will be your monument. And, and this is me talking to me, but it would be like, you know, you don't need nobody to tell to tell you who you could build a monument to and how a monument should look and, and what a monument truly is. You don't need nobody to do that. You could do that yourself. And I was like, okay. You know, like this is me and me. But she wanted the bookshop to be a monument to Harriet Tubman in more than just a name. I think that for me, it was just like thinking about all of the things that I didn't have. And, like, I didn't have growing up. Like, I'd never been to a bookstore with Black women on the covers of the books. Like, that predominantly. Never. Never. Like, at that point, I had never even been to a bookshop where, like, you go in Barnes & Noble, there wasn't even a section like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, yo, that's so jacked up to me. It was just like, wow, look at all of these ways in which it's like we're not even here in some ways. It's like we're, like, erased, even though we're standing right in front of everyone's face. And so I was like, well, what if you just flip that, right? Like, if you want something to happen, if you want to see something, that's me talking to me. That's how I talk to myself. Yeah. Like, you want to do something, you like it or whatever, (laughs) you need that, then do it, you know? And it was just like, oh, okay, well, then let me see, you know, let me try it. So our mission celebrates women authors, women artists, women activists, and we're named for Harriet Tubman, and the mission is done under the guiding light of Harriet Tubman. With a location and a mission, it was time to build. I started doing renovations, and like I put together all the furniture that we had at first, all of those shelves, everything, and most of that stuff was stuff that I went and found in thrift Mm. stores and found like in like, you know, throwaway shops and stuff, you know, know, Facebook marketplace kind of stuff. And... 
the books in the windows were my books. Um, and the art was up, and that was my art. After a little TLC, Harriet's bookshop began to take shape, and the neighbors began to notice. So people were, like, knocking on the doors. Like, they would see me inside, and they... People would be like, well, can I get that? Can What about this? Can I look? Can I browse? And I'd be like, no, 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 I'm not open yet. I'm not open yet. <laughs> one of my friends was in there with me one day. And they were like, yo, why don't you just let people come in? Like, what is the problem? Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I just, I, I, I wasn't, I'm not ready. You know, I wasn't. And I was like, oh, just try it. See what happens. So she opened the doors. I got like my first little book order. And I'm like, got, I have real customers. Yeah. Um, and I had no POS system. So like I had no way to check people out or anything. And so the first set of people, like there are customers out there who are like, I remember coming in here and you didn't even have a register, a cash register. You just was, you right. know. We and I was just, just like, yeah, doing I was doing it. Janine was doing it. And by the time she started to plan her grand opening event, word of the shop had already begun to spread. We put out the flyer that we're opening the bookshop. It gets shared and shared and shared. I mean, thousands and thousands wow. of shares. It was like completely overwhelming. I didn't know what to expect. Even though the shop had already been open for a month, and even though the grand opening flyer had been shared thousands of times, the night before the grand opening, Janine was terrified. And in my mind, kept thinking, like, what if nobody comes? My sister comes into town, and I'm like, I hate everything in here. I've done it all wrong. Like, everyone's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. And she was like, you are going to have to quiet that voice because the clock is ticking. You know, we had a good day. Philadelphia was coming at, mm. to open with us. So they were coming at like 7 in the morning or something crazy early. So they was like, you know, she was like, you don't have time for this. But I had taken the entire bookshop apart. And I had like taken all the books off the shelves and taken every, and I just, I don't know. I was losing it. I was losing it. I was thinking a lot of negative thoughts. I didn't sleep. We worked straight through. And then the day started. We did something called libations where we opened up with a big community circle where we would establish what the ground rules and responsibilities were going to be for the space. And we did that outside with whomever wanted to come. Um, we did a ribbon cutting. My dad showed up, who I had no idea was coming. He rode the bus overnight to get to Philadelphia. I had no idea he was coming. Hmm. I was floored, like literally, like dropped to the floor when I seen him. Like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. Wow. It's lots of fanfare, very, very beautiful experience. One of the probably the most beautiful experiences of my life. You know, the poet laureate was there and Ursula Rucker was there. And like all day long, it was just all these different people and different ages. It was just a beautiful moment in time. Decades earlier than she had originally thought, Janine accomplished her dream. She was a bookshop keeper. And Harriet's bookshop took the city by storm. It was perfect. And like every perfect dream, just when you think it can't get any better, you wake up. Six weeks later, we get an email from the city that we need to shut our doors completely. Harriet's Bookshop held its grand opening on February 1st, 2020. Six weeks after the bookshop opened, the entire world closed. I remember going in the back of the store and just like bawling, like, and just laying on the floor. I was just laid out on the floor, just crying. And um, my family was like, are you coming home? Like, it was like a few days. Like, I was just like, I'm just, I'm done, I'm done. 
I'm like, you know, I gotta send these books back. Like, I don't know how I'm gonna pay for this. I don't know, like, I just really messed up. I felt like, you know, I was like, damn, I really messed up. And I put a lot into this and this is not gonna work. And it's, you know, again, it's so embarrassed, so publicly embarrassing, right, to like do this this way and now it's, it's gonna fail. Many of us felt this way in the early days of the pandemic. It's over, my life is over. But our lives weren't over and neither was Janine's. Once the dust settled a little bit and we got used to the quarantine routine, Janine, like she always does, identified a need that she could fill. Well, you got all these essential workers that are working in these hospitals. What if we did something called Essentials for Essentials? I would put the list together you know, based off of the, you know, what hospital workers wanted, and then the community could purchase those books. And I had a friend who was working in the ER at Pennsylvania Hospital, and she was like, I'll collect the books people want. I know people want books. And she gave me the list of 50. I put the website together, we built it and posted it. And within an hour, all the books were sold. And hmm. we were like, oh, shoot, you know, like, this worked. And in addition, we had people write a prescription to their um, person who they were buying a book for. And so it was like the flip where usually the doctor's writing your prescription. Now you're writing the doctor prescription. You're telling the doctor, you know, how long that you think they should read and yeah. what they needed to do to stay well. By the end, we'd worked with four hospitals and every single time it would just like sell out. This was great. But while Janine still found a way to impact the city with books, the book shop that she had just opened and just signed a lease for was just sitting there. I believe that I was building a monument for Harriet and that I did not want that to go to the wayside. And I thought that even if I have to send the books back, like I still need to you know, honor the space and honor what we set out to do. So she did what we all did as 2020 started to warm up. She took inside and brought it outside. We start this thing where we take all the furniture outside and we would build a bookshop on the corner. That was like this wild idea. Because we couldn't do indoor things. Right. The pandemic. Everybody's stuck inside and people are like, it wasn't safe. And mm. so we would take everything outside. We'd go back inside. We'd close the door. And it was an honor system. And so it was just like, you know, take a book, send a cash app or a Venmo or a PayPal, whatever you can do. Mm. And people were like, what? You know, honor system. Like, right. that's unheard of in business in America. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's just like, oh, <laughs> yeah. stop. You know, like, like first of all, it's not that many people running around here trying to steal books. <laughs> and if they really want to steal a book, I'm like, child, I'm going to let you have that book. You know, like, you better you read, read it. Right. You better give me an essay or something. You know, you sign homework. <laughs> yeah, it's always. So it's just like, um, you know, if you go take a book, but it was the honor system and people honored it. Yeah. Of course. You know, we can't interact with you in the way that we would like to, but we still want to provide this service. As spring turned to summer, 2020 continued on with the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. Suddenly, the mission that Harriet's Bookshop had been created to serve, which included amplifying the voices of advocates of racial justice, was smack dab in the center of America's conscience. As I saw cities burning and people uprising, I felt like we needed to be in support of the people who were organizing on the ground to make mm. change happen. And in that time, what I felt like the need was, was a sustainable plan, right? Like, I am so, so tired of reactionary, you know, responses to these types of 
social issues, right? We've seen this cycle time and time again mm. at this point where people, you know, something happens, then people get upset and they uprise and then it gets quiet again and then something happens. Yep. And I was just like, yo, I am so tired of that cycle. And I think that that cycle has a lot to do with not having a plan, not having a plan, not making a decision about what it is that you want and how you plan on getting it and what will be the repercussions if you don't have the things that you need. Right. And I think that that comes from education, from books. You need to see the blueprint. You need to see other people who've done it and done it well, who's been successful at it, and use that as fuel. Books. They hold the answers to every question. We went to the street, you know, myself and the youth conductors. The youth conductors are the interns, paid interns, at Harriet's Bookshop. They're named in honor of the conductors of the Underground Railroad. And we took the books. Instead I, we of took, signs. We took what we had. Yeah. I, I thought that, you know, signs are a bit overdone, you know, and I, and not just, you know, nobody, I'm not clowning nobody's approach, but I'm always also thinking about like, how do we innovate organizing? How do we innovate on social change? So I was like, let's try something different and let's see if we get a different result. Janine and the youth conductors didn't stop after they had taken it to the Philly streets. We went to Minneapolis. We gave our books there. We went to Kentucky. We gave our books there. Um, that was really hard um, because I was I was so afraid. Like when we got by the time we got to Minneapolis, like the vibe had like chilled down. But when we got to Kentucky, the heat was still so high, and I have these children with me that I'm taking to go distribute books. And I'm like, people have trusted me with their children. And I don't want anything to happen in a bad way, but they're like snipers and there's, it was just too much. And people were like, you know, the KKK is coming. And it was just like, it was so, so, it was scary. It was really scary. At the same time, it was necessary. And so we did it. And I've been really interested in what they're learning from it. And so I had them all write to me, like write me a letter. Like, what has it been like being a youth conductor with Harriet's? Um, and they talked to me, you know, they helped me to see, you know, what it was like. Because I think that a lot of movements do poorly because they don't have a cadre of young folks that are really taking the lead and making it, make it at all happen. By day, Janine and the youth conductors took to the streets and gave out books to help inform and educate the social activists about those who came before them. By night, though, Janine was back in Fishtown, protecting the monument. I spent the many nights in the bookshop. And shouts to Vashti, the boy who runs the Colored Girls Museum. Because one day, I'm like, you know, I was just like talking casually. Like, I'm just going to spend the night at the bookshop because, you know, they they doing that stuff again. And I got to make sure that we are. And I want to be a presence. I want to be a visible presence. Like, it's less likely that somebody will do a type of right damage if they see a face of a real human. This is my business. Like, you know, a real me. You built this Right, thing. you know, I'm like, it's not like, I think it's easier for some people. Like, when there's no face, no name, people don't feel as connected. And that's how social media gets away with people being so trashy, right? Because it's just like, it's not, there's no real accountability. But you see me standing here in my window, like, less likely that you're going to come bash it in. Uh, and so she was just like, well, I'm going to come sit over there with you. And we, you know, one of the nights she sat there and we just chatted all night long and listened to all of the craziness outside. Despite the extreme circumstances of 2020, Janine and Harriet's bookshop persevered. The shop didn't close, and Janine's business survived. This was not the case for many business owners, particularly Black women business owners. When the pandemic hit, Black women-owned businesses had a 40% drop. 40%. That's like half 
right, are just disappearing. And so I was just like, why? Why is that happening? Why are so many people losing their spaces? And it was because they didn't own them. And because it was like, how am I supposed to pay rent in the middle of a pandemic? And if we had owned that space, we would have a different amount of leverage, right, and freedom, honestly. Harriet's Bookshop has made it so far. But Janine doesn't want to take her chances again. If anything happens, like a pandemic, which did happen, I have no stake in the game. I have no, like she could at any moment say, Janine, scram, we don't need you no more. Somebody's willing to come in and pay more, uh, higher rent. Like, that's a reality. And I just started getting it in my mind, like, what does ownership look like? Um, And how could I stay in Fishtown? Because I could very easily leave the neighborhood where I've built this institution and start all over somewhere else that might be a lot cheaper, like Mm -hmm. Fishtown is very expensive right now. The building I'm in is a million-dollar building. Hmm. The guy next door who I was trying to buy the building, uh, his building from, another million-dollar building, right? Like, I don't have a million dollars, you know? I don't have it. And I don't also want to be in debt for the rest of my life. So she did what she does best. She went to the community. So Indie Bookstore Day, we launched a campaign. I was like, I'm nervous and I don't feel, because I don't, like, that's not, not my natural state. My natural state is not to go and ask people for money. It's just not, you know, I was like, you know, got to work, got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, I just, I'm really nervous about this. We said, hey, here's our track record. Here's what we've done in this amount of time under these circumstances. We want to continue doing it and we want to do it in such a way where we don't have this other monkey on our back. Right. Of trying to like pay this, you know, if if the pandemic is not over. Right. The pandemic is not over. Like this could very well, like at any point we can get another email that says close your doors. And now what? You know, what are we supposed to do? Like we have to put ourselves in a position where we can sustain ourselves for when these these types of moments happen. Janine swallowed her pride and asked the community to help raise money so that Harriet's bookshop could own a building in Fishtown and have equity in the land it occupies. As you can imagine, when this campaign was launched, she heard it from the naysayers. People were so, like, you know, up in arms, like, the audacity for her to to say she's raising $300,000 to buy a building. Like, what about good old-fashioned hard work? And I was just like, if you don't get out of here with that good old-fashioned, like, how is it any different, me asking the community versus you asking a bank? What's the difference? She didn't cower from the antagonists. Janine kept on with the campaign and was able to raise, to date, more than $230,000. We are under contract right now with the new location. By the time people hear this, fingers crossed, toes crossed, that this is a a done deal and the contract is signed. You can uncross those fingers and toes because the deal is done and Harriet's bookshop soon will move into Harriet's house. Now, Janine can look forward. What would you say is the biggest challenge facing Philadelphia today? Um, I think that the challenge facing Philadelphia and a lot of the world is that we've turned over responsibility and rights to representatives. Mm. And that we have an expectation in this country where we expect other people to do for us what we really can do for ourselves. And what I mean by that is just like, it's just not enough street action. It's not mm. enough people willing to go outside. It's a lot of people that are really, really afraid of their neighbors and they're afraid of the neighborhood and they're afraid of communities. And they, and like as much as you might hype up, like, you know, we need to be working together and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, then get outside. Mm. Get outside. Go where it's at. You know, go to where it's at. 
and we can work together, you know, mm -hmm. like, and there's a lot of ways in which these institutions have been weaponized where you turn over all the responsibility to, you know, you want your city council person to do whatever you want your, the commissioner, you want whomever to do whatever. And they're not God. None of these people are going to be able to stop the levels of violence, which we're seeing in these streets in Philadelphia. Like that is a human issue. That's a community issue. That's a me and you issue. And we get to go outside and do something about it and have a, a measurable goal in mind as we go about doing something about these issues. Finally, yeah. if you could get one message to every Philadelphian, be it a tweet, a text on their phone, a yeah. billboard, plane in the sky, just one message that every Philadelphian could receive yeah. and ponder, yeah. what would that be? We have a bookshop and we love for folks to come in and buy books, sure. But thinking that the journey ends at the purchase of the book is just so backwards, right? It's really about taking that book. Yes, now I need you to read it. Yes, now I need you to dissect it, analyze it, right? And like really think about what's coming up for you as a result of this book. And then finally to be moved into action as a result of what you've read. And I think that that's my challenge for people is that, you know, a lot of us have taken on, like you talked about this awakening in, in this moment. Um, and I have customers all the time who are like, you know, I read this, I read that, I read this over that and I was just like okay and then what did you do about it you know what did it move you to do in real life for real people and if there's nothing there then we need to go back you know like we're not done reading that book yet reading has many more layers than just like taking in the symbols on the page in addition to securing ownership of Harriet's house Janine has already created her second bookshop that one is a sister to Harriet's, and it's called Ida's Bookshop, named after Ida B. Wells, a journalist committed to eradicating lynching. Ida's Bookshop is located in Collingswood, New Jersey, and just like Harriet's did back in 2020, Ida's has already soft-launched, and they're taking visitors Thursday through Sunday. It is so good to be back. If you want more of my interview with Janine, you can get the whole unedited discussion, which is twice as deep as this one, by becoming a Philly Who Premium member. As a member, you'll also get to join the discussion by getting access to the private Philly Who Premium Discord channel. That's where you'll get to connect with me and other Philadelphia doers, thinkers, and performers, and you'll get to be further ingrained in the evolution of the city we call home. To join us, to hear the deeper discussion that Janine and I had, and to get several other bonuses like free live show tickets, t-shirts, access to dinners and meet and greets, click the link in the show notes and become a Philly Who Premium member right now. Philly Who is a Q9 production. This episode was written and produced by me and Catherine Nails with post-production by Jeremy Bishop and a very special thanks to our first guest in 18 months, Janine Cook. For Philly Who, my name is Kevin Schmidlin. See you in two weeks.